0: In New York, call 8778-HOPE-N-Y or text HOPE-N-Y. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
1: The Chicago Bears lose their sixth game in a row to the division rival Detroit Lions 34 to 30 as a late Lions push pushes them over the top. I bring on Windy City Gridiron's lead draft analyst Jacob Infante to help me digest this wild and weird Bears game on this episode of Bear With Me. What's going on everybody and welcome back to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, right here on the Windy City Gridiron Podcasting Network. And what a weird game it is to be talking to you about as I'm bringing on the Bears draft analyst Jacob Infante, who I scheduled before the game. I promise Bears fans, I did, and here as the Bears saw a 23-13 to 13 lead at half evaporate into to a, a total blown lead situation right there at the end of the game, I gotta tell you, Jacob, my head's still spinning. As somebody who came into this game seeing opportunities as a win-win with the Bears potentially making a playoff push here if they could win and turn, in, or turn that 5-6, five and five-game losing skid into a 6-6 six and six record and 1-0, and as the Bears were calling it, but now all of a sudden at five and seven, three straight divisional losses, the Bears may have their answers here at uh, at what their front office and coaching situation is like. And as this, is it now a six game losing skid? Uh, oh my word. Yeah, this season, like we may be starting to think about draft position, which, hey, I mean, it got better today, but it's, it's such whiplash that I'm just sitting here a little lost. Jacob, how are you doing today? How did you feel about this game?
2: Uh... I, I don't even know at this point because, like, you and I were talking earlier. Like, we know that this is probably for the best because a win keeps the Bears at 500, I believe. Yeah, it keeps them at 500 and it keeps them tight in that playoff race. And who knows, maybe a loss to the Arizona Cardinals puts them into that seventh seed. And that would probably be enough to keep uh, Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace around. If you make the playoffs, you can't fire a regime after they just made the playoffs. Like, as much as that, you can make the argument for it, I don't think they would. Now they're 5-7, and seven, and they face extremely tall odds to make it into the playoffs. They've lost six straight. They've utterly collapsed. I think it's for the best. And as tough as it might be to consider how much of a, Pretty much a guaranteed win, it looked like, later on in the fourth quarter. I'm, I'm content with this. I'm surprisingly content with this loss. And sure, they played horribly. But there is a silver lining. And the silver lining is that this is probably in the long term going to be for the greater good.
1: Well, that's what's so funny about it, isn't it, Jacob? You talked about how they played horribly, and they definitely, I mean, especially on defense, allowing 34 points out of absolutely nowhere, I've said this before on other podcasts, like second most expensive defense in football, a town known for being incredibly good at defending, and on your home turf, nonetheless, like 34 points to a rival that got shut out just a couple weeks ago, if not last week and Thanksgiving maybe, like not good, nobody's excited about it. On the other hand, I think you'd agree with me, Jacob. Guys like Darnell Mooney, Cole Kmet, David Montgomery looked nothing short of ferocious today. Like, there were real silver linings here on offense, regardless of how poor the Lions defense is. And it is poor. Because a defense missing Trey Flowers, Danny Shelton, and Desmond Trufant, I actually can't think of another player on their defense. Like, name-wise. Because I... Uh, It doesn't seem like they have a whole lot of talent in the cupboard besides them. I guess Everson Griffith, though he did get picked up later in the season. But like you're saying, this was a real whiplash affair, as when Bilal Nichols cut off that pass and picked off uh, what should have been a fairly easy screen look for Matthew Stafford, I thought the game was over. You know, like, easy. Bears had been moving the ball effectively on offense. I expected them to just keep handing it off, pounding the rock. Mitchell Trubisky was playing efficient football, and all of a sudden, the tables just flipped on me. And I'm still sitting here at 347 Central Standard Time in shock that things happened the way they did. Doesn't mean it's like a bad outcome for the Bears, and we'll get into that a little more. I'm just amazed we're here talking about it, you know?
2: Yeah, and I definitely agree with you. When I saw the Bilal Nichols interception, I was sure that was it. Because, like you said, the Bears were moving the ball down the field efficiently on offense. And the offensive performance, probably the best we've seen all year from them. So, the fact that they ended up losing says a lot about how this defense played this week. Uh, especially against the Detroit offense that didn't even have DeAndre Swift or Kenny Galladay. Mm-hmm. Two of their best players weren't even there. So, That's what I'm, it's, it's, it's tough to watch. I'll admit like a team that was so clearly in the driver's seat, utterly collapsed in the way that they did in that sort of fashion. The, the Trubisky strip sack just falling apart uh, on those two drives. I believe it was. Yeah. Two drives in the fourth quarter. uh, That just turned all the momentum in Detroit's, favorite two, I believe it was I'm checking it out right now it was two three and outs forced to punt, and then a fumble on third down and then they had one more drive after that and it didn't work out so it was just confusing to me how a team that at least on offense was playing so well prior to those couple of drives just utterly collapsed in the way that they did like, and I'm looking forward to checking out the tape on that just to see what exactly went wrong. Was it, you know, from a play-calling perspective, I think that plays a big part in it. Was it just the players not executing their assignments? I'm sure there's a lot of layers into what happened. And I think that uh, I, I'm nearly at a loss for words. Well,
1: let me try to help fill the air because certainly... I. I certainly, I'm talkative enough to help out. I think if you go back to the film, just going entirely off of like what I f- my first gut based on what I saw, because watching a game and honestly, like live tweeting it, like you know, we, we love to do it, it, can sometimes take your eye off the ball a little bit. But based on what I saw, I saw that the Lions defense had no answer whatsoever without Danny Shelton for the Bears inside running game in the first half. I mean, the Bears controlled the tempo in a way that they've not been able to do since... The last time they played the Lions in week one, where if you remember, next gen stats had charted the Bears for, I think it was five expected yards per running play. Like the the trouble with this game to me, Jacob, was that the week one Bears had us all walking away saying, holy smokes, maybe this line is really, really good. So I'd been here before, you know, like we'd seen the Bears run roughshod over the Lions and they did in that first half. Mitchell Trubisky was able to throw almost every single pass off of either play action or a drop back that caught the Lions off guard because they had to commit more and more and more men to the running game in the middle of the game. And then the third quarter Bears struck and they weren't able to score. And honestly, sometimes it doesn't even feel like that Bears explanation because it's sometimes, in this case, it was a false start and a missed throw, which is going to happen even to the best of quarterbacks. And so that sort of, created a rickety rail setting and then in the fourth quarter of course the team with the lead is expected to run the ball so the Lions committed an extra defender and it was it was rough to watch because all of a sudden I mean I'm looking at the score I don't think Bears fans are gonna believe me when I say that David Montgomery finished with 17 carries for only 72 yards and that's a yards per carry average of 4.2 I think you're gonna agree Jacob he felt so much more ferocious and frankly gained way more yards than that or at least it felt like that right At the end of the game, the Lions seemed like they were able to close the door on the Bears' running attack, which put the spotlight once again on the quarterback. And it's not that he didn't deliver. Certainly, there were plenty of other players that could have made other plays. Like, for instance, Alan Robinson turning outside when his man fell down and not picking up the first down. Very reminiscent of what happened against New Orleans just a couple weeks ago. So, like, tough plays all across the field. But also... There, what was it, the the drive before the final drive of the game, I gotta tell you, Jacob, I am amazed that on third and four, Matt Nagy and Bill Lazor put their heads together and came up with a straight drop back pass, which is not Trubisky's specialty, certainly he seems more comfortable in those settings, like do or die settings when he's on the move and I'm not the kind of guy who says, hey let's get Trubisky on the move all the time you can't build an offense around moving your quarterback, but on a single play third and four, with the Bears offense having picked up, let me check the stats again, four and a half yards per carry, so it's very well within the realm of possibility that you could run the ball. I'm amazed they didn't throw a play-action fake. Jermaine fadi got beat immediately by a guy name, who I didn't even know was on the Lions. Mitch Trubisky never sees it, even though it's on his front side. He gets sacked. What a disastrous finish. Like, I could put that on play-calling. I could put that on execution. You could put the blame wherever you want, and you'd be right. You know what I mean? Like, it felt as if this bear. Bears offensive machine was chugging and then it just evaporated and I think a lot of it came from the fact that the Lions took away the running game and put the pressure back on the quarterback though not a whole lot of quarterbacks in this league only about like 20 really shine when you have to pass to win and the I don't know the Bears quarterbacks don't seem like they're one of them you know
2: yeah and I want to go back to that second to last drive there with the that ended up in the strip sack the play calling in particular was a little bit confusing to me because you just come off the two-minute warning, you know, you're up by three at that point. And honestly, at that stage, just go for the conservative call of just running it up the middle because then the Lions are going to waste their timeouts. And, you know, worst-case scenario is you'll have to punt because it's very unlikely that you'll have any turnovers coming from the run game, especially with Montgomery, who's reliable in terms of ball security. But the Bears managed to those last two plays, that second and third down, they went with two straight passes. Which, I mean, and the the, sec- the first pass was, you know, technically a run because it was a design pass that Trubisky scrambled on. But still, the fact remains that they intended on throwing the ball on that play, which is confusing in itself to me because, yeah, you know, Trubisky had been playing well to that point. But, you know, keep in mind the whole, you know, clock situation it's second and seven you can vi- you can easily gain at least a couple yards on that second down and realistically be able to put yourself in a nice situation on that third down so i don't know i ju- i feel like and again a lot of this will come down to you know rewatching the tape and seeing exactly what re- what rent what went wrong ah. uh but it was it was just confusing to say the least i think that practically everything that went wrong went wrong on offense, both from a play calling perspective to an individual assignment perspective. I think, you know, the offensive line uh, on that third down definitely failed to do its job Uh if Eddie got brutalized. And we saw Charles Leno earlier in the game got absolutely blown by on that spin move by Everson Griffin. I think that, I mean, this game the offensive line wasn't even that bad in this game for most of it, because I feel like, you know, the cleaning house game, for part of it, like you're talking exactly, about. Exactly. Like the run game was, you know, like we said, it's, it was good. And David Montgomery had his fair share of solid runs and Cordero Patterson had what I believe might be his best rushing performance of the season. So, It's not like the offensive line was bad throughout the game. It's just that down the line, you know, one or two blown assignments just, you know, blew everything up. And Mitch Trubisky doesn't really do a great job of, you know, staying calm under pressure. Sure, he can move around a little bit and he, you know, excels on the move. But that doesn't necessarily mean he does a great job of sensing pressure and evading it and maneuvering the pocket. You know, we were talking about that a little bit earlier before... You know, we started talking about the game with a guy like Joe Burrow, where, you know, maybe not the best athlete, but he evades sacks because he can sense pressure and he has the footwork needed to move around. Trubisky's the opposite. He is a good athlete, but he doesn't have that ability to evade pressure. And that that combined with this offensive line isn't necessarily a great move. And I know that I was you know, pining for Trubisky to start over Foles because at least Trubisky is athletic enough that sometimes he gets away with it and Foles just straight up can't sense pressure and he can't move. But even still, Trubisky behind that offensive line, it's not necessarily a recipe for success.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, and Jacob, it's funny. So I just, I just went back through Game Pass, right? And for those who don't know, NFL Game Pass is a fabulous service. I think it's a must-have if you're an NFL fan that wants to watch the tape, partially because they'll upload the TV copy of the game immediately after the game, and it really helps somebody like me with a post-game podcast, because I can go back through and I can take a look at a play. And Jacob, I must have missed the second and seven call coming back out of the two-minute warning, because I didn't realize, looking at the play-by-play sheet that said Mitchell Trubisky three-yard scramble, that that was a straight drop back past two. I mean... I am the guy guy, Jacob that will look anybody in the eyes and say a fourth and one speed option to Cordero Patterson to the short side of the field in the Rams game is not an intrinsically bad idea and it's a genius play if Rashad Coward does anything and Javon Wims holds an albeit tough block like single play calls that a lot of people like to scrutinize sometimes I think people can go overboard based on whether they worked or not but here's the thing it's second and seven and at the end of the game why are there no play action fakes like two downs in a row. You know what I mean? Why in the world are you not getting your guy on the move and at least baiting the Lions into selling out? Just a couple downs earlier, Jacob, the Bears had done the same kind of play-action fake and they got Cole Kmet wide open for what felt like a walk-in touchdown as he was able to counter the fact that the Lions over-committed to the play-action fake and rolled right on into the end zone with nobody near him. Where in the world was that? Like, I'm really not one to try to kill play calling as often as I can. But why are we drop back passing when we know that's not Trubisky's game? I mean, this to me, it's, it's when I look at this kind of stuff and I say, I have no idea what's gotten into this offensive staff here and there. Like, they are not geniuses, and in many cases, while they can come up with a good play design here and there, that feels like such a basic situational thing, right? Where you're either going to actually run the ball, or you're going to throw play action, that when you see on second and seven, drop back pass. On third third and four, drop back pass. What in the world is going on here? Like, of course, and we will get to giving the defense their due, because I do think that that's a subject that we haven't explored enough. When Chicago gives up 34 points, it's never a good thing, but that is a setup where like, I'm not even looking at the final drive of the game. Handing it off on an inside run on fourth and one where Jermaine Ifedi and Alex Bars have to make key blocks, that's its own issue, because that's probably not the strength of your offensive line. And we knew that, and we learned it in the Titans game, where exactly the same thing happened. But it is wild to me, Jacob, that here, I mean, you want to talk about firing Matt Nagy, you want like a good reason to do so, that series right there, honestly, that might be enough for somebody like me, if I'm George McCaskey, and granted, I've been talking on this podcast that I might have pulled the trigger like a while ago, but that setup right there Why is Mitchell Trubisky, somebody who I think you know, I think I know, and if both of us know, Jacob, and we're fans, that Mitchell Trubisky struggles on any concept that's more than one read, why in the world are you not simplifying it and say, throw or go, Mitch, like, roll out, have one guy in front of you, and if he's not there, you just run it. It doesn't seem that hard to me. I can't believe that that's what we did, and it's probably part of the reason we lost.
2: Yeah, I think that, One of the biggest indictments on Nagy is the fact that he honestly struggles to adjust his game plan based off of his players' strengths and weaknesses. And I think that that's the mark of a good coach where if you're able to adjust your own scheme and tailor it to the fact that, okay, maybe my quarterback is better on play action better on bootlegs and rollouts and stuff like that than he is standing right in the pocket and having to go through progressions in a more traditional form. Like, take a look at Bill Belichick. I mean, obviously, this hasn't been the best season for the Patriots, but he managed to change up his playbook to adjust to Cam Newton because Cam Newton and Tom Brady are two very different quarterbacks, and that's the sign of a good coach. Even if the results haven't been great, the fact of the matter is he was willing to make that change. I haven't really seen that with Nagy. I haven't really seen him willing to adjust uh, to Trubisky's strengths and in my opinion, they're running a very similar offense to what they did under uh with Nick Foles under center. They're not taking advantage of Trubisky's athleticism. And granted, I know that Trubisky hasn't been running the ball as often as he did earlier in his career, but still at least get him on the move. It opens things up a little bit. It simplifies things because you're eliminating one half of the field. You're just having to go through one or two reads tops. It's not, you know, it's not... Necessarily rocket science in that case. So, yeah, I think a big part of that has to go on Nagy for that, as well as Bill Lazor, who's you know now calling the plays. So, and considering that offensive staff, there are guys with legitimate NFL experience. It's not like they're inexperienced and don't know any better. Nagy's been a head coach for three years now. Bill Lazor's been an offensive coordinator in you know three different spots. John DeFilippo has been an offensive coordinator in two different spots. They have guys in there with experience. It's just a matter of not making the adjustments and not generally knowing what's going on. And considering all the pieces that are in place, I'm just, I'm kind of dumbfounded, you know, it's just, it's every single week. It seems like, I mean, on both sides of the ball, I feel like there aren't a lot of adjustments being made week to week.
1: Yeah, I mean, even worse, it feels like the offense makes things harder for themselves, you know, like as soon as somebody doesn't make a play, sometimes it feels like that's all it takes for the Bears offense to trip all or trip over itself and fall face first onto the pavement. Perfect example. And somebody on Twitter pointed this out. I haven't actually gone back and seen the play, so I'm just going to take their word for it. Uh, Mitch Trubisky completes third and five to Allen Robinson with the time dwindling down there at the very, very end of the game. I'm sure you remember it. He turns outside, which is enough to make every Bears fan groan because he doesn't get the first down. We've seen it. It's a literal repeat of what happened against, again, I believe it was New Orleans, and that's enough to make anybody frustrated. Does that make him a bad player? No, it doesn't. Does not mean he, like, didn't make the play? I guess technically, though, he did get you to fourth and one, and that's better than dropping the ball. Like, I'm not trying to make this about Alan Robinson. That's actually not the point. The point is that immediately after that, Jacob, the Bears line up, and they, with eight guys in the box, decide we're going to run the dang ball. And I'm not saying that's, like, a bad thing. It's more saying that it doesn't necessarily play to the Bears' strengths when you're running into an eight-man box, because as if we've learned anything, Jacob, the more guys that are in the box, the more that in the modern-day NFL, you're going to get stuffed, and the Bears in most of the game were able to keep the Lions in six-man boxes, maximum seven man They're running into an eight-man box, even without any of the players that we talked about at the top of the show, they were able to stuff the Bears for a one-yard gain, And frankly, returned the favor for Buster Screen's absolutely fabulous tackle on, uh, was it Agnew, the running back, where he stuffed him cold on fourth and one? And he absolutely should have gotten the first down. I mean, he had way too much room, but... It was just a reminder, like you're talking about, about how sometimes instead of doing what feels like the easy thing that makes it easiest for an already offensive-minded league to succeed, it feels like the Bears offense has a really nasty habit of making things especially hard for themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally.
2: And I, I know like we're, you know, ragging on the Bears offense a lot, and to be fair, like those last couple drives were bad. But, you know, to their credit at least they did play well for most of the game. Trubisky had one of his better games as the Bears starting quarterback, probably his best of the year, even if it still wasn't perfect. And like we mentioned, the run game was great. Uh, a handful of receivers made some big plays. Alan Robinson, outside of the you know questionable decision to step out of bounds and to not try and fight for that first down, uh, he had a good game. Cole Komet had a good game. He had five catches, and... Jimmy Graham didn't have any so I think that's slowly but surely signaling that Cole Komet is the guy at tight end he's getting more snaps than he was earlier in the year and Jimmy Graham's getting fewer and fewer targets so I'm encouraged to see that they're involving Komet and he's doing you know relatively well with that increased workload but you know still the most important thing is that at the end of the game they weren't able to come through
1: right I couldn't agree more. I mean, granted, I could I could, if I wanted to put an asterisk by this game, just being totally honest because the the defense that the Bears played wasn't very good. But, Jacob, if you're thinking what I know some listeners out there are thinking, I'll call it out and I'll say it to myself. In the NFL, it doesn't really matter. If you play the Jets and you put up 85 points, guess what? That's what goes on your stat sheet because that's what matters. In, in the NFL, every single touchdown counts, and the Bears were able to move the ball very, very effectively. Effectively running absolutely roughshod over a Lions defense that had no answers. I mean they were great dot 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 until it felt like it mattered where in the third quarter, they, were, they weren't they were able to do much. I don't think they scored in the third yet again. And then in the fourth quarter, they got that early touchdown and seemed to kind of go dark, even though they were given the interception and had a big lead there at the end of the game. And it's just frustrating. I mean, I don't want to kill the Bears' offense more than I think they deserve, because after the break here, which we're going to take in a second, I think it's about time we start talking about the defense. Uh, but the Bears' offense, they did their job. They put up 30 points against a defense that not very good, but the Bears offense has had enough problems against not very good defenses that seeing them put up 30 points in regulation was a real positive, and it's just a bummer that they're at the end of the game. They couldn't – let's put it this way. They couldn't really finish what they started. Is that fair enough? Like, they started so strong, and to not
2: see them land that final punch is just a bummer. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I I like the boxing analogy because you went – You know, all those different, all those, you know, first couple rounds, you know, you were doing well and you were sticking it to them. But when it mattered most, you weren't able to finish the job. And I think that's an issue when you're, you know, in a two possession lead and you're not able to pull off, you know, the final death blow there. Like that's, you know, that's bad. And at one point, it, well, I want to say, with a, roughly two and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter, the Bears were up by two possessions, and then they ended up losing the game. And I, I went back, because I tweeted something about how at a certain point the Bears had like a 97% chance of winning according to ESPN's win probability chart. I've been doing a little bit of messing around. I found one that's even worse. With four minutes and 33 seconds left in the fourth quarter, the Bears were given a 99.1% chance of winning this game right after Matthew Stafford's incomplete pass to TJ Hawkinson. And then <sighs> it slowly but surely evaporated. And, like, the whole entire chart is, you know, low to the Bears, slowly going down towards the Bears, and then a sharp uptick in the Lions' direction. Like, it's, it's very reminiscent of the, uh, the Atlanta Falcons game. And mm-hmm. even, you know, the Detroit line game from week one like we were talking about, just eat those straight, flat out blown leads. And I, I don't think there's any necessary excuse for it. I, I just think it was poor football.
1: Yeah. And it came at the absolute worst time with the Bears already on a five game losing streak that now manifests itself into a six game losing streak. But on, on the flip side of the break that we're about to take because it's been a second before the sponsors have been able to get a word in, uh, I think we can talk about something that's as negative as it is positive, but we'll get there when we get there, Jacob, and I'll talk to you in just a second. Right now, let's get the sponsors a chance.
3: Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24 7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast.
1: And we are back with Bear With Me, the post-game show covering the Chicago Bears' recent loss to the Detroit Lions as they fell 34-30 to in, honestly, It's tough to say at Bears fans, a much more fun football game than we've had for the last bunch of weeks in a row. I would actually rather watch this kind of loss than the Green Bay Packers loss a week ago. But I think the worst part about it, Jacob, and one that we as we've talked about the offense, because let's be honest, Bears fans, we're kind of obsessed with offense. We end up waiting for that to grow up in front of our eyes for so long that sometimes we can take defense for granted. But here, Jacob, on a day where the Lions were able to drive 95 yards for a score to to make the game a 27 to 30 affair before the Bears had our offense had a chance to fritter it away, I got to tell you, the defensive showing today was not up to what I would have anticipated against a Lions offense that didn't have their version of Allen Robinson in Kenny Galladay. They didn't have their young, stellar rookie running back in DeAndre Swift. It, the worst part about this, Jacob, to just jump right into schematics, is that I felt like the Bears had a pro- have had a problem all season long that came to roost today, and it's been their pass run. Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn have been held on the edge basically all year long. And I don't say that just to criticize refereeing. That's actually not the point. Offensive holding calls are way, way down across the entire league. And that's really killed the Bears' pass rush in particular, who have so much committed to making noise with a four-man rush while other teams send pressure, bluff things. They simulate pressure all over the line. You know, the common exotic stuff we see from folks that are quote-unquote scared teaming pressure and today i felt like uh, matthew stafford had very aaron rodgers esque time to throw and he punished the bears left right and center and it was tough to watch from a defensive perspective because it felt like whenever the lions even if they were down on what like a third and 15 a third and 13 they seem to have some kind of answer 28 yards down the field and that's just not what i've come to expect from this bears defense how'd the performance leave you feeling
2: yeah, I definitely feel the same way. Uh, listen, I've had issues with the defensive play calling for quite a while. Uh, I feel like, like they have the defense has been good overall this year, but I do think that Chuck Pagano's scheme is questionable uh, by how often he relies on playing passive zone coverage, and because you look across the middle of the field, very often it's wide open. It seems like and. I think part of that's just because uh, Buster Screen struggled out of the nickel and he's unable to necessarily cover, you know, that underneath area. And I feel like some blame can be attributed to the off-ball linebackers, but not necessarily as much. I just think it's a matter of the players being schemed in the wrong place. I We noticed several times Kyle Fuller was, you know, playing decent enough coverage considering the situation, but just because of how far off he got, you know, he was being lined up at, it's nearly impossible to make a play when you're not near the ball. And it's just, it's tough because I feel like that's been an issue with the bears for quite some time this year where it's just so passive, at least in my opinion, they're not trying to dial up any additional pressure with blitzes or anything. They're completely trusting their guys. And while I understand that at least, you know, hypothetically you say, Oh, we've got, you know, Akeem Hicks, Khalil Mack, Robert Quinn, we should be able to get pressure in a four man rush and drop more guys back, but that's not working. So what you have to do is you have to make the adjustments. You need to, you need to be able to rush the passer. So you dial up blitzes, you change your scheme, make it a little bit more exotic when you're rushing the passer. So Pagano hasn't been able to do that. Nope. And that's, That's concerning for me coming from a defensive coordinator who prior to actually, you know, taking on the role as Bears defensive coordinator, he had proved that he was the, he was a defensive coordinator of physical defenses that, you know, were willing to blitz a little bit more and weren't as passive in coverage. And I know that that was the latter, especially was somewhat of a critique on Vic Fangio as sometimes late in games, he would get a little too soft. But I feel like Chuck Pagano has, you know, definitely struggled in that regard. And I feel like he's clearly, I mean, clearly been worse than Fangio, not just in general, but in that particular flaw that Fangio showed off. So Mm -hmm. when that's supposed to be your calling card and you can't even do that, it's, you know, it's concerning to me. And the good news is with this loss, there's an increased chance that everything will be torn down and then. We can completely reset and figure out and retool and all that stuff in this offseason. So I'm I'm hoping that we only have to deal with this for a couple more weeks. But considering how much money they're spending on this defense, how much uh, the talent there is on that on that side of the ball, it's just frustrating to see them perform like this.
1: I couldn't agree more. I mean, one thing that's gotten really frustrating to watch, Jacob, and I'm about to say something incredibly corny but you know that old phrase, like, knowledge is power. It feels like in the modern NFL, that's extremely descriptive of the battle between offense and defense. And what at least, like, a, a great example, Mitch Trubisky is a legitimate NFL starting quarterback when he knows what the opposing defense is going to give him, and he knows exactly how he's going to operate against it. I think you'd probably agree with that. Pocket sense? Eh, he can Struggle quite a bit. Mobility, technically it's there, but sometimes it doesn't show up. But when he knows, okay, I'm going to do this, and this guy's going to get open, and I'm going to throw it like this to him, he's great right. And actually, I think that's true of a lot of NFL quarterbacks. And one thing that's been really strugglesome in Chuck Pagano's scheme, like why am I bringing up Mitchell Trubisky, is that Pagano tends to be quite declarative. I think you'd agree with that. He tends to say, we're going to play man coverage beat us we're going to play zone coverage beat us. There's none of the creative stuff we actually saw in the early 2019 season. We're not sending nickel blitzes anymore. We're not er, making up crazy disguises for zone or for blitzes that have zone on the back of them. We're just sending four rushers. Maybe we'll run a line stunt here and there, but a lot of times those just create containment issues that suddenly have Matthew Stafford take four steps to his right and he is totally free chucking bombs down the field. And like you're talking about, I mean, when you give the modern NFL quarterback, the ability to see through your defense and pick apart matchups, they're going to target Buster Screen, they're going to target DeAndre Houston Carson, they're going to target Deshaun Gibson, and you're going to forget that Jalen Johnson and Kyle Fuller are even on the team, let alone guys like Eddie Jackson, because the defense, or because the offense just isn't going to bother with them, you know, like they, if they can pick a side and they can get Buster Screen in a one-on-one, they're going to do it. And part of the reason that I think Buster Screen's been so, so, so maligned across Bears Nation over the last, what do you think, five weeks is because teams have figured out exactly how to like fiddle with Pagano's scheme to make it such that Jalen Johnson, Eddie Jackson and Kyle Fuller only show up when they want them to. And same with Roquan Smith. A lot of these guys, like Jalen Johnson, had a couple nice pass breakups today, one especially in the end zone. Kyle Fuller had a great stick with you uh, coverage set with Marvin Jones where he did not bite on a double move and stuck with him Roquan Smith broke up a screen and make a couple or made a couple of other tackles in both the run game and the passing game and ultimately the Lions were able to just shrug all those off and make plays against again like Tashawn Sean Gibson who's kind of covering nobody a whole lot of the time and others and or Buster Screen as well and made the other individual efforts the defense was able to put out. Irrelevant. And like you're saying, I think a lot more of that comes down to the fact that Pagano's not, he's not even like tipping his hand. He's doing the very old school. This is how we're lining up. I dare you to beat it. And offenses in the modern day are saying, I mean, okay, (laughs) I will. And it's tough, you
2: know? Yeah, totally. I feel like Pagano's just general inability to adjust his scheme, given the situation, is just... I I would say infuriating, but I've become numb to it at this point. And especially maybe that's just the fact that, you know, growing up a Bears fan, I'm used to seeing these talented defenses. So my standard might be a little bit higher than, you know, a lot of other uh fans of different teams around the country. But this team can be so much better than it is. And I feel like teams are they realize how to exploit. Uh, Pagano's defense and that's to, you know, heavily target Buster's screen. And Buster's screen was pretty solid last year. Like I think that, you know, we should hand that to him. He wasn't bad by any stretch. And I'd like to think he was worth the contract that he was given. But this year he's been rough. And he had that really good blown up play against uh, Jamal Agnew earlier in the game. But when it came down to it in coverage, he just he doesn't have the overall burst closing in on balls and needed to, uh, prevent completions, especially considering that zone heavy scheme. You'll want, uh, a quarterback who's athletic enough where if a guy's in his area and he's getting thrown to, you can, you know, break on the ball or at least, you know, put yourself in a situation where you can like be disruptive in any way. I don't think screen has that. Like I, I did a little bit of digging into, uh, screens advanced metrics heading into this game and I don't know exactly how uh, this performance is going to shake that up but in terms of just general completion percentage and in terms of his uh, total passer rating let me let me read this out for you his passer rating heading into this game ninth worst in the league for a cornerback Completion percentage allowed 10th worst for a cornerback. Touchdowns allowed 5th worst for a, cor- a cornerback. And considering the fact that, you know, you give like a, a post-June 1st designation for his release, I think it's a foregone conclusion at this point. And sure, you don't know what you have in Duke Shelley or Kendall Wilder yet on defense, but I would much rather take a shot with them and then maybe bring in like another a free agent veteran on a cheap deal or draft a guy on day three and try and work with that, then keep screen around and keep paying him the amount of money he's getting. I just feel like, and I hate to just rag on one guy because I do think that there are a lot of problems with the defense and, you know, other people are, you know, worthy of blame. I don't think Jalen Johnson had his best game. He had the really nice uh, PBU in the end zone. But other than that, he had a couple plays, uh, including that blown touchdown pass uh, to uh, I want to say it was Marvin Jones in the fourth quarter where, you know, Johnson just didn't look ready. But regardless, I think that screen hasn't been playing up to the standard that his contract allows. And I think that a lot is going to have to be, you know, pondered over the off season. about one, whether or not you want to keep Pagano around or two, if you do, what are you going to do with screen? My guess is they let him go.
1: And you know it's funny, Jacob, because you talk about like Screen not living up to his contract, and he signed to a much more modest, like five million dollar deal, which for a nickel corner, granted, that can be kind of a lot. It's it's very weird. The nickel market is one of the weirdest based on what Brad Spielbergers told me in football, because sometimes you can find Nickel Roby Coleman for like a veteran minimum deal, and other times somebody's getting paid nine million dollars, ten million dollars, eleven million dollars, and I think Bryce Callahan's case and uh well screen looks much cheaper than that but like you're talking about his metrics don't help him either way we might be hitting that point Jacob where we start to say the fateful phrase that nobody wants to say and maybe we just play the kids because at some point don't you think you got to figure out what you have in Duke Shelley and Kendall Vildor
2: so that at least you know what you have going into this 2021 season yeah I think that it's definitely worth considering my opinion if you lose Two more games, I think, because you're five and seven right now. You've got four more games the rest of the year. If you lose two more games, I think then you realize, okay, we're not making the playoffs. You know, we have nine losses. There's a, you know, 0% chance that we'll make it in. Might as well see what we have because we're going to blow stuff up in the offseason anyway. So check out our young guys, see what we have. Give uh, Kendall Wilder and Duke Shelley a little bit more playing time. Give someone like Riley Ridley a little bit more of an opportunity. Actually, make him active. Take a look at what you have. Get, even give Travis Gibson a little bit more playing time. I know he was active. I don't recall hearing his name once. I don't. I couldn't tell you if he played a single snap on defense today. I think that going forward, sure, technically you're still in the playoff race, but even if you lose one more game the best you can do is eight and eight I think you have to consider that and obviously there's the whole you know tanking argument oh you know you're not playing to win you're just playing to you know lose and get your better draft positioning but just to give a couple of those young guys a little bit more playing time I think would be a very smart decision these next couple of weeks
1: well, you know, Jacob, you bring up the tanking thing, and I have to at least talk on that a little bit. So, Bears fans, here's the deal. Jacob loves the draft. Like, the draft is his thing. And I I love the Bears. There's nothing weird about that. I'm not trying to draw a line. Jacob loves the Bears, too. Sorry, Jacob, I feel like that, that misphrased. But the, <laughs> po- the point is, the point in what I'm trying to say here is that at least I realized a couple weeks ago, because I've been saying this entire season in 2020, I want to know whether Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace are more 2018 Bears or more 2019 Bears. And here in 2020, I think so far we've gotten as clear an answer as we're going to get, right? They're much more 2019 Bears. They are the six-game losing streak Bears. And sure, you could say, well, they may have been the 5-1 and one Bears too, but they somehow managed to to build on none of that in the Rams, New Orleans, and Tennessee game stretch. And now here they have lost to three straight division rivals in uniquely inspired ways. The Vikings game, just not enough offense, but good enough defense to win. The Packers game, terrible defense, and offense that kind of let the game get out of hand. And here in the Vi- or Lions game, actually surprisingly good offense, but a blown lead at the very end. So three creative ways f- lose all three games. Does that drop us to last the nfc north i'm not sure but the point is after having said all of this if you take a deep breath bears fan you'll realize that if the bears lose the rest of their games they have a realistic shot at starting all of this over that may already be in the cards. Like at this point, Jacob, I'll ask you, does miraculously beating the Texans, the Vikings, and the Jacksonville Jaguars, pushing this record to 8-8, eight and eight, in your opinion, save the jobs of Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy?
2: Uh, that, that's tough. Because you can take a look at Matt Nagy and say, okay, he's been the coach for three years, He's been at least 500 in all of them. He does, He has never had a losing season. And then you can make that argument that, oh, okay, you know, you didn't lose more games than you won. We can retool things a little bit, make a couple of changes, and then still try and compete next year. Mm-hmm. I, I still think the best idea, no matter what, is to let both of them go and to start over because sticking with Nagy and Pace at this point is just you know, sticking with mediocrity, sticking in that NFL purgatory where you're not good enough to make the playoffs, but you're not bad enough to get a top 10 pick and have the chance to revamp your franchise totally. So would that be enough given the bears organization? I, that's a tough question. I would have to say they, I, I, I'm I'm legitimately struggling to think about sure. it. I think it, it's a 50-50 shot at this point because we've heard, you know, things where potentially there's some, you know, frustration in the higher-ups in the organization. And there's, you know, a little bit more dysfunction there than maybe we realize. But I'm going to go on a limb, and I'm going to say they'd get fired no matter what because I, you yeah. start off at 5-1, and one, you lose six straight games, and regardless of whatever happens these next couple of weeks, they're probably not going to make the playoffs. They had a clear opportunity to make it into the playoffs and be a legitimate, maybe not a legitimate contender, but finish with a respectable record and they're not going to be able to do that. So it's, I'd like to think that the McCaskies would be willing to look at that and say, okay, this isn't working. We need to move on. If they'll be able to do that, I don't know. I'd like, I'd like to think they would. I
1: think you're probably right. And it puts my rant right back on track because that even assumes that they beat the Texans, which I think you'd agree with me, is not a foregone conclusion at this point. Or the Vikings, because the last Vikings game certainly didn't go well. But the point is, Bears fan, if Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace do... Make win just enough games to not get fired, that means that at best, the Bears' solution at quarterback is either going to cost quite a bit, where according to most Jimmy Johnson-style charts, if the Bears drafted around 14th to 17th, it would take at minimum their second rounder this year, or next year's first rounder which would be treated like a second rounder this year, to move up to the 7th or 8th spot this would mean that resetting at quarterback would be very, very costly and for a team like the bears that a lot of their defense is aging a lot of their offensive pieces need upgrading especially that offensive line it needs some investment the bears might look to draft an offensive lineman and then they'd need to lose a whole bunch of games in 2021 to build back up the draft stock to take the next really good quarterback and finish the franchise's reset or or, and this is where Jacob and I can get a little bit excited, you can take today's loss as a positive step towards losing as many games as possible. And that's going to sound awful. I have never been one to cheer against the Bears, ever. Like, in my 13 years of being a Bears fan, even back in the Lovey Smith 7-9, 8-8 and, 9, 8 and 8 days that happened here and there, never been one to cheer for tanking. But if you, like me, decide that these next four games are... Are not worth getting in the way of drafting a Zach Wilson type or a Trey Lance type even maybe even a Justin Fields depending on Jacksonville's decision then I think this Bears team can get their quarterback of the future and quote unquote reset things in one pure offseason that puts us into scrappy competitive maybe not good yet but hey they've got a future ahead of them status in one year and immediately we'll have a much more fun program. to watch next year on the football field. Jacob, do you think I'm crazy when I say that? Do you think those quarterbacks up there, like quarterback three projected, are potentially worth throwing away four games of the season?
2: I think they would be for sure, because the quarterback, you know, say whatever you want, it's the most important position in football nowadays. And if you get the opportunity to reset at that position, considering the struggles that they've had at quarterback over the past couple of years, then I think you go for it. And that's not to say they should actively try and lose the rest of these games. Although, to be fair, I wouldn't be all that upset if they did lose all the rest of their games only because it would give them a top 10 pick. But saying that, I feel like if you get the chance to get a quarterback, it's worth it. And even if, you know, they lose the rest of their games, even if, you know, we have to sit through a couple of weeks of poor play, I would take it if I knew that. Okay, the Bears are going to play poorly, not not assuming they're tanking. Of course, they're just genuinely playing poorly for the next four weeks. But it gets us in a position where you can either draft a quarterback by staying put, or you can move up ever so slightly and draft a quarterback while giving up less than you would have if you went say eight and eight or nine and seven. In order to get that guy, you're paying a you know a cheaper price. I would right. totally be okay with that. I, I that's a sacrifice I'd be willing to make for sure. And that's where I sit
1: too. I mean, again, in my opinion, waiting until 2021 to restart the rookie quarterback wheel seems to me to be a long, long wait. I mean, that's almost if I'm doing the math correctly here, that's almost 19 months of waiting another seven month offseason and then all another year on top of that, just until the point where we're watching the team line up with the new quarterback of the future. And at that point, you'd hope that he has like a training camp under him instead of potentially next season, where you take a Zach Wilson or a Trey Lance, and if it's Lance, you probably want to put him on the bench. If it's Wilson, you probably want to just play him out right, maybe, depending on how he looks in camp, and then you're able to invest a second-round talent in an offensive line and try to move this thing along in a bit quicker pace ironically, than you would if you were able to keep Matt Nagy, Ryan Pace, and potentially drag this team to 6-10 and ten, or 7-9. and nine. That's that's where I'm at, at least. I'm not trying to, like, choo-choo, tank train, uh, or something like that, and I'm not trying to be anti-Bears. What I'm trying to say is that I actually think that there's real positivity for you and me where we get to see a competitive team sooner If the Bears are able to get that top upper echelon quarterback, which to be clear, the only reason this is even a conversation is because this 2021 quarterback class is loaded with a lot of really good quarterback talent. And that's kind of rare, especially up at the top end with guys like Trevor Lawrence and uh, Justin Fields, who are very, very good quarterbacks. And a guy like Zach Wilson, who shouldn't be, I hope I'm not stepping over words here, Jacob, but he shouldn't be the third quarterback selected in most drafts. But he is in this one because there happens to be two guys that could be worth the first overall pick in multiple other drafts going back in the past, but they just happen to be in the same one. And you look at that, I think the Bears potentially losing these games, which is possible because this Lions team isn't very good and they lost to them at home if that happens. I probably won't cry over it, and I'll look forward to when we can flip the regime over and draft another quarterback and start over from there. And maybe in a couple years, we or like maybe we're able to draft our Justin Herbert, a fun rookie that at least makes the losing palatable, but maybe not, and it totally all goes into the tank, but at this point... I look at this team and I don't see where winning helps us because I don't see how this team that can't beat the Detroit lions without three of their best offense or three of their best defensive players and two of their best offensive players makes enough noise in the playoffs for any of the winning to be worth it. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. And at this point you're looking towards the future with that five and seven record. It's very unlikely that you're going to be able to, you know, break it back into that, upper echelon of NFL teams and being able to crack the postseason. Uh, Cause 'cause even if they win all the rest of their games, they're still going to be nine and seven. You've got to hope for the Cardinals to lose a couple more games. You got to hope for the Vikings to lose a couple more games. And even the 49ers at this point to lose a couple more games, there's a lot relying on other teams to even sniff the postseason. So I don't know. I, I feel like at this stage, you kind of have to just keep your eyes peeled towards the future, because like you said, it's a talented quarterback class. And I don't think like in the couple of years that I've been, you know, doing work on the draft, like actually breaking down the film and everything, this is the deepest and well, not necessarily the deepest, but in terms of top end quarterback talent, it's the most loaded I've seen because you've got four quarterbacks who can be legit franchise guys two guys who can be legitimate starters and then a couple of interesting developmental pieces down in day three it's a really good class and i think the bears would be wise to take advantage of it and you know i think it bears repeating that it's not to say they should tank but if they lose it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world
1: Exactly, And I mean, hey, with the team that we've seen against Tennessee and Minnesota, and I mean, to an extent even today, though they seemed really competitive today, they could lose to anybody. And if they come into the wrong attitude or come into the Jacksonville game with the wrong attitude, heck, Jacksonville might find itself a second win. But at this point, Jacob, I have kept you on for long enough. Thank you so much for jumping on with me to help break down this game. I know it's a tough one, but I know it's also kind of easy to get apathetic to these things at this point. Jacob, where can folks find you online? what do you have coming out in the future
2: yeah absolutely so uh you guys can follow me at on twitter at jacobinfante 24 uh obviously i do work here at windy city gridiron uh heavily bears related and nfl draft related uh and i also do some work over at the draft wire with usa today uh so yeah that's where you guys can find me thank you so much for having me on i had a blast
1: absolutely anytime jacob thanks so much talk to you soon and, Bears fans, that's going to do it for this episode of Bear With Me. If you like what I have to say, feel free to follow me over on Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz. That's R O B E R T K at C H M I T Z. Please do drop a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever other platform it is that you follow the show on. And do give me feedback, whether Twitter DMs, Twitter on public, Wendy City Gridiron comment section anything helps as i want to put together the best show for you bears fans because without you nothing else really matters here thanks so much for listening we're going to be with you all the way through the rest of this season this off season, and every other season to come and until next time bears fans bear down and thanks so much for bearing with me